those, but the greatest of these is. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, If you want to turn, you can, but we're just going to hit two points today. Uh, Next week, I'm going to try and wrap this up with the the final few points. I mean, we could probably go on weeks and weeks and weeks um, covering everything in this chapter, but we're just kind of focusing on the verses 4 through 7, I believe, and then we're going to uh, move on into the next series. We've learned that love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Next up this morning on our list. Love does not rejoice in injustice. But always rejoices in the truth. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but always rejoices in the truth. Other interpretations that we can see say love finds no pleasure in evil doing, but always rejoices when truth wins out. Or another way of saying it is love finds no pleasure in anything that is wrong. Now, most of us would say when we hear this point, we would all say amen, yes, to that. But this also reveals a very deep flaw in the human heart. The flaw that we as humans would rather sometimes hear bad news than good news. Right? (laughs) In the current presidential election debate, what gets the most attention? What gets the most buzz? It's whenever the candidates are going back and forth, aren't they? It's whenever someone says something about one of them and the other one needs to respond. And that's what seems to get the most headlines. And that's what you hear the most in the, in the morning news shows the next day. What dominates the news industry today? Stories of murder, financial and sexual scandals, abuses and acts of misconduct, affairs, crimes. These are the things that dictate the news today. They're what attracts the human heart. This concept is even found in the church. Stories of bad things happening inside the walls of the church are the source of much malicious gossip. Why is this? What is it about the human heart that gets a buzz out of hearing about the failings of others? Perhaps it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves, perhaps. This passage is not speaking as much about us doing the wrong that it is in the malicious pleasure which comes when one hears something derogatory about someone else. It's one of the peculiarities of human nature. We prefer to hear of the misfortune of others rather than their good. But this trait does not come from Christ, does it? Christian love has no room for the kind of malice which finds pleasure in hearing unpleasant things about other people. 
Instead, our hearts should sink every time we hear of something bad happening, especially if it has something to do or if it involves someone within the church. I recently heard of a pastor that I personally know who was charged with sexual abuse against two minors. He has had to resign from his church. He has been on several boards and committees and he has had to relinquish those and has had to resign those as well. And now he's in jail. While the human heart has a tendency to say, now, you know this is true, the human heart has a tendency to say, hey, did you hear about so and so? But not so with Jesus. His heart breaks when things like this happen. News like this should hurt all of us because it's a victory for Satan. And we must never rejoice when Satan wins a battle. Sometimes this happens. I'm not saying that every single time you hear something, we rejoice in that. We hear something bad, we rejoice. But this is a tendency of the human heart. How do we combat this? Well, first I would say we need to tap into the love that this chapter is talking about. Tap into the love and the compassion of Jesus. We can mourn and we can weep, but we can also pray that the truth would come out. That the truth of Jesus Christ would win out in the end. I think we can also put ourselves in the shoes of those that have been involved. Whenever you hear something difficult or bad happening to someone, put yourself in the shoes of the individual that might be married to them or that might be a family member to them. Or put yourself in the shoes of that individual. How do you think they're feeling? We all know the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. Now, if left to our own devices and our own senses, we may at times be the very ones to pick up a rock and we're ready to throw them ourselves. But there's only one person who doesn't have a rock in his hand and you're seeing him there in the picture. Look at Jesus. Whose side is Jesus taking here? As the death sentence was being delivered... Where was Jesus and what was he doing? Jesus was siding with the woman. And what was he doing? He was showing her love. He was showing her compassion. He was showing her forgiveness as the truth of the gospel won out in the end. The truth of God's word. Whenever we hear of something difficult happening to someone uh, inside or outside the church, A lot of times, whenever um, we hear someone that's going through something difficult, I will pray, if I don't know their spiritual condition, I'll pray, God, if they know you, may they feel your presence, may they feel your strength, may they feel your grace. But if they don't know you, we want the truth to win out. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that they would come to their senses through all this. They would realize through this crisis, through this uh, difficulty, through this trial, they would realize that what they need more than anything is you, Jesus. That's how we as believers need to be praying. That's how our attitude should be when we hear something difficult happening to someone. This is why the tail end of this chapter 
And it's why I titled this message, this series. That's why the tail end of this chapter emphasizes that the greatest of these is love. Christian love has no wish to conceal the truth. It has nothing to hide and is glad when the truth wins out. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but always rejoices in the truth. Now, I've already heard a sister testify about this, so I have a feeling this next point is going to hit some of us. I'm just going in sequence of what the Bible is sharing with us. The next one, love never gives up. Love never gives up. Did you hear me? Never gives up. All of us have tried and failed at various things in our life. Some more than others. Some of you may have heard these kind of stories. In Henry Ford's attempt at an automobile, he failed and went broke five times. Colonel Sanders was turned down over a thousand times when trying to sell his secret recipe to different sellers or buyers. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for a lack of ideas. Isn't that crazy? Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four. He didn't read until he was seven. His teacher described him as, quote, mentally slow, unsociable and adrift, forever in his foolish dreams. He was expelled and refused admittance to the Zurich Polytechnic School. The University of Bern turned down his Ph.D. dissertation as being irrelevant and fanciful. Babe Ruth holds the record for a number of things, but he also holds the record for the most strikeouts. There isn't one person here among us who has not felt like a failure at some point in time in their life. But then there are those times, as Christy kind of alluded to, then there are those times in your life when you just kind of feel like a punching bag. You know what I'm talking about? You just kind of gets, gets, gets hit one after another. This happens and that happens. And as I was researching for this message, I, I kind of got on the Internet and uh, uh, just kind of just out of curiosity and entertainment-wise wanted to see stories of people and their bad luck. And it's, you ought to get on there sometime. And it's incredible how some people just don't seem to have good luck. Times when it seems you just take one blow after another, and here you go. You want to quit, and you want to give up. What do you do in times like these? How does the love of Jesus Christ, how does this love that we've been talking about make a difference? How can the love of Jesus Christ pull you through? The Apostle Paul knows a thing or two about wanting to give up. In the the discourse of his ministry, five times Paul received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Why does it say minus one? Well, according to Jewish tradition... Uh, the Jews could uh, institute this punishment and uh, what they would do is they would stand behind the victim and they would use the whip and 40 times they, could, uh, they would use part of it on the back and part of it on the front of the body. 
And you were not allowed, if you were the scourger, if you were the, uh, the one doing the whipping, you were not allowed to go over 40 times. And if you went over 40 times, then you yourself could be scourged for doing that. So what they did is, just to be safe, they said 40 minus 1. Because sometimes it was so severe that it would kill the victim. Five times Paul received that. Three times Paul was beaten by rods by the Romans. Now this is a Roman punishment and it was not allowed to be used on any Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen. But yet he still received that punishment. Paul was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent an entire day and night in the open sea. He was often subjected to the hardships that came with traveling in the first century. Oftentimes that there were bandits and there were robbers who would steal from you and then they would kill you. Scriptures say that Paul at times was cold, he was naked, he was tired and weary. He had many sleepless nights and he experienced hunger and thirst. We can even, what I just told you is seen in God's word, but we can also see evidence of this elsewhere. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.8, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the, provident, in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. 2 Corinthians 7.5 When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Do you ever think that Paul said enough? I've had enough. I'm tired. I can't take it any longer. No doubt that Paul probably felt like God's punching bag at times. But here's the difference in someone like Paul. The love of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the newness of life, the old man that was done away with, the love that we have been talking about for the last several weeks had so changed him that he was willing to endure whatever it was that Jesus allowed him to go through. The love of Jesus Christ makes that kind of an impact. He was willing to endure whatever came His way just as long as the Gospel and the love of Jesus was preached and Jesus was glorified. Listen to how Paul describes this relationship with Jesus in the midst of all of these difficulties that he's gone through. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. There's someone here this morning that's in despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Stephanie was out and about yesterday, and I asked her to look for a, a prop that I wanted to use, but she couldn't find them. I don't think they make them anymore. But in my opinion, the Apostle Paul wasn't so much like a punching bag, but he was like, remember as kids, they would have those 
bags that you would kick or that you would hit and it would bounce right back at you? You know what I'm talking about? Under those called soccer boppers or whatever those are called. I, I had them. I don't know what they're called, but Paul was like that. You hit him, he'd bounce back up. You kick him, he'd bounce back up. As he collapsed to the ground after receiving the 40 lashes minus one, he got back up. After he wiped the blood from the gash of his forehead from having been stoned, he got back up. After he had been shipwrecked three times, he got on the very next boat, he got back up. With every hardship, every persecution, every discouragement, Paul got back up. By his own power, his own strength? No, through the strength and the power and the love of Jesus Christ. See, I said this last week and I'll say it again. You and I, if we claim Christ, you are not your own. You belong to Him. We belong to Him. The love of Jesus has got to make some kind of a difference in our life. Not just in the good times and the easy times. I thought of this individual. I think I'd heard this story. Some of you know who that is. Winston Churchill, the great British statesman and the great uh, prime minister of Great Britain. The very one that the British citizens looked to in order to navigate their country through, through some of the worst bleakest days of World War II. Early on in the, uh, the onset of World War II, Great Britain was just uh, uh, suffering one defeat after another. This was before America even got involved in the, in the war. He was described as a man with great courage, unending perseverance, and unparalleled determination. But yet it took him three years to get through the eighth grade because he had trouble learning English. Thus it seemed ironic that years later, Oxford University asked him to address its commencement exercises. And as Churchill approached the podium, the crowd rose in appreciative applause. He settled the crowd and stood confident before his adversaries carefully placing his top hat on the podium, Churchill gazed at his waiting audience. And as authority rang in Churchill's voice, he shouted, Never give up! Several seconds passed before he rose to his toes and repeated, Never give up! He then took his top hat, put it on, Got his cane and he just walked off the platform. That was his commencement speech. There's someone here this morning, or several of you here this morning, you want to give up. You want to give up. I don't know what you're going through, but you want to give up. Some of you here in your struggle to find the resolve to never give up, perhaps you need to stop. And just seek the face of God. My grandmother sent me a verse the other day. It's out of streams in the desert. 
And the whole thing was, be still and know that I am God. One of the only ways to never giving up in the midst of your crisis is to take time and be still and seek his presence. Let me read this. Come to me, God tells us, for rest and refreshment. The journey has been too much for you and you are bone weary. Do not be ashamed of your exhaustion. Instead, see it as an opportunity for me to take charge of your life. Remember that I can fit everything into a pattern for good, including the things you wish were different. Start with where you are at this point in time and space, accepting that this is where I intend you to be. You will get through today one step and one moment at a time, but your main responsibility, hear me on this, your main responsibility is to remain attentive to me, letting me guide you through the many choices along your path. This sounds like an easy assignment, but it is not. Your desire to live in my presence goes against the grain of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Much of your weariness results from your constant battle against these opponents. However, you are on the path of my choosing, so don't give up. Hope in me. Capital M. For you will again praise me for the help of my presence. To seek the presence of God. What what happened to Elijah? Elijah did not hear God. He did not feel God. He did not see God. He did not know God was there through the fire, through the storm, through the wind, uh, through the earthquake. When did he hear from God? He heard God in a still, small. Someone in here this morning needs to stop all the analyzing and all the planning and all the trying to figure everything out and be still before God. I end with this last story. George Mallory He was a famous mountain climber in the early 1920s, and he led a number of expeditions, a number of attempts to scale what you see there, the infamous Mount Everest. But on their third expedition, George died in that attempt in 1924. He died on the mountain. Mallory was an exceptional climber and was known for having a will and an internal constitution that never gave up. Amazingly, his body was not found until 75 years later. Is that not amazing? His body was found in 1999. His body was well preserved by the snow and the ice. It was 27,000 feet up the mountain and he was just 2,000 feet from the top. But even the position of his body 
buried in the snow and the ice, reveals his determination to never give up. His body was found face down on a rocky slope, but his head was pointed toward the summit. His arms were extended high over his head. His fingers were dug into the loose rocks, refusing to let go. Even at his last final breath, George Mallory never gave up. He kept going. Some of you could say, well, Pastor Brock, that, okay, that sounds good, but he died on the mountain. Hebrews tells us about all the people that died never having received the promise. The promise of what? Of the coming Messiah. The promise of eternal life. The promise of their heavenly home. They didn't know exactly all the details. They didn't know what they were going to receive. But all they knew is that they were going to keep moving forward. They were never going to give up. Through all the, persons, all the persecutions that they went through, read Hebrews chapter 11, those folks never gave up. Never gave up. Those who were on the team of George Mallory, those that had set up camp further down the mountain, they returned to England and a banquet was held in their honor. A huge picture of Mount Everest stood behind the banquet table and it said that the leader of the group stood to be applauded With tears streaming down his face, he turned and looked at the picture and he said to that picture, quote, I speak to you, Mount Everest, in the name of all brave men living and those yet unborn. He said, Mount Everest, you defeated us once. You defeated us twice. You defeated us three times. But Mount Everest, we shall someday defeat you because you cannot get any bigger, but we can. Someone here today needs to speak to the enemy of their soul, needs to speak to Satan and say, Satan, you have defeated me once, you may have defeated me twice, but my God is bigger than you. I will never give up. I will never stop. No matter what comes my way, through the power and the love of Jesus Christ, I'm going to keep going. Going to keep going. Going, 29 years later, Mount Everest was conquered when two new climbers finally reached the top. Love never gives up. This love, the love of God, never stops. This love compels us to never give up. If, if you are on the verge of giving up, trust me, I've been there in my life. If you're on the verge of giving up, tap into the love of Jesus Christ. That's the love that propelled, that compelled Jesus to go to the cross for you and me. Tap into that love And He will give you the strength that you need to keep going. Weary Christian soldier, never give up. Hear the voice of God say, be strong and of good courage. 
Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. If you feel beat down this morning, you don't think that you can go another step. Listen, God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. See what His Word does. See what His Word does. Discouraged soul, never give up. And hear the Lord say in Isaiah, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You are mine, says our Redeemer. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You bow your heads. Dick, Joyce, if you would come up. Just sit there for a second and be still in the Lord. Be still. When you are still in the presence of a holy God, one of two things are going to happen. You are going to feel such peace such contentment, such joy that you never want to leave. Or you're going to be just a little bit uncomfortable. You're going to feel like squirming in the soul. You know that there's conflict and turmoil within. And whenever you sit in the presence of God, when you are still before God, might not be real pleasant. That can change this morning. The love of God is drawing someone here this morning to never give up. To actually give up our control and give it to God. Allow God to take your circumstances. Allow these promises, allow the promises of His Word to help you keep going. Father, your will be done. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody who is not real comfortable in your presence or someone, Lord, just maybe needs to give a situation to you, someone who is discouraged and wants to give up, God, may they be obedient to you this morning. These altars are open. Thank you that there is victory Thank you that the enemy can be defeated. We can speak as as those men spoke to that mountain. We can speak to the enemy of our soul and say, Get thee behind me. In the name of Jesus Christ, get thee behind me. Because you can never get any bigger than my God. Thank you, God. We praise you. We give and dedicate this time to you in Christ's name.
Amen. Would you stand, please? I'm not sure what Dick is picked, but stand.